Hey everyone, welcome to Techonomics this week. I'm Jake, an analyst, writer, and engineer currently working in fintech. And I'm Arun, an investor, educator, and product leader currently working in the autonomous space. And this week we're talking to Jack Recco, former founder and currently a venture capitalist at Far Out VC. Jack, welcome. Hey guys, how you doing? Jack's a very close personal friend of mine. He's an investor in my current company, and I've always found his story to be fascinating. And Jack, how did you get to where you are for people who don't know you? Cool. Well, I'm 39, and that took the same amount of time as everybody else to get here. And it's, it's weird. That was about 30 years of failures, one lucky break. That was ACV, was the company I co-founded with a couple other guys. And that was about a five-year run. And then about another four years of it seemingly trying to let entropy take back open over and, and tear apart my life again. Uh, but in a good way, you know. The quick story on me is I've been a native to upstate New York uh, my entire life. Born in Rochester, grew up in a little farm town called Canadagua. Went back to Rochester for undergrad and grad school. Uh, learned what venture capital was. Thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Went and worked for a fund as like a grunt for basically nothing. My girlfriend at the time told me that it was like, I was like that guy in the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness. Like literally for the first <laughs> seven months. Yeah, and I, now I had just graduated with a full ride from Simon, which was the MBA program at the University of Rochester. Like four man's booth. And I was making a thousand dollars a month working full time for seven months. That's what, that's what like the hazing ritual was to get into mm. this thing. And it wasn't even a prominent fund. It's just that it was, it was 2008 and I was trying to do it in Rochester, New York. So my, my boss there, Jose Coronas, this four foot nothing Cuban guy who I think if, if he's listening to this would tell me I was like his the son he never had taught me a lot in the, the four and a half years I was there and then broke off and did my own thing in my late twenties, acting almost like a management consultant for venture companies, but doing it on my own, which meant I made almost no money. I would take compensation in whatever form possible. It could be the company's products. It could be equity that was never going to be worth anything. It could be mm. in them making me dinner and just, just had a lot of at-bats. Right. I, I always told people I was like the kid that broke the uh, the coin machine at the batting cages and would just sit there all day and swing at balls. Like it did not matter that I didn't hit a lot of them because I was swinging so many times. I knew something was going to hit. Um, then in my early 20s, decided to leave my excuse me, my, my, my late 20s, decided to leave this world of uh, I actually grew up in like Rochester was really well known for optics, photonics and material science. And those drove me into industry verticals like telecommunications. I did a bunch of work in biotech. And so I was in these like deep tech worlds, just like having a good time. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of travel to going back to really more like a reach thing, which was in my thirties. Uh, I was actually right when I turned 30, decided to stop helping everybody with their companies, stop like making other people's companies better and and decided to start something with two guys that was the simplest business model I'd worked on to date, which was ACV auctions. We basically just digitized the auction process for wholesale cars. And it was 
we can we could dive into Ar- Arun also is is uh, buddies with one of my co-founders. He went to he went to high school with him, and that's actually the way I I, I got to meet him. I'll be a way too late in life. They say that the, the people you're born into life with leave you way too soon. And the people you're meant to meet, you you meet way too late. And that's definitely true. But you know, ACV was a wild experience, right? First time really founding something, being all in on it. And every every issue you could imagine, right? Getting fired from your own startup, getting brought back, raising mm. a ton of money, getting diluted to high hell. And and the, the end outcome was a company that went public in 2021. I left in 20, late 2018 and allowed me to become really active angel investor, which really, I, it allowed me to do which, what I wanted to do, which was, which was to help people with more than just my time. I became a really active angel investor, a really active LP. And all of that made me think, okay, maybe I could do this on a commercial scale. So again, found two different partners and started Far Out Ventures, which is a B2B venture, a venture capital firm. And I like to think the first real VC in Buffalo. So there was a lot there. I'd agree with that. It's good dribbling of words. <laughs> so I think, yeah, so certainly I'd agree that you're probably the first real VC in Buffalo. I think to date it's been, I think, uh, with the exception of one or two people, actually, I don't mind naming names here. I think whenever I think of, the people that have actually tried to make that ecosystem something, it always comes back to three names, Jack. It's yours, Dan's, and Anna Shokes. And I think that for the most part, those are the three people that have really advanced that ecosystem and done everything. I'm sure there are others, but as an outsider now, those those are the ones that sort of ring a bell. I guess I'm a weird outsider and insider at the same time. I think if it weren't for those three people, I... I I shudder to think what founders would be left to in Western New York as far as their capitalization options. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that as to like what the what what the options were before something like Far Out and before some of these there were some startup successes that led to qualified angel investors. Well, let me tell you when when I started in VC in 2008 it was like a game of needle in the haystack, right? It was, there was always no venture funding, right? But the only dollars you could get were through mm. things like SPIRs and STTRs. So guess what? Like the people that got those were highly technical, which is why I was in highly technical field, right? Venture capital. In general. Hey, by the way, Jack, Jack, for no, for people who don't know what those terms are, can you spell it out? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I actually don't know what SPIR stands for. Maybe small business innovative research. I'm sure that's wrong. But basically, mm. uh, those are both federal dollars that get piped through mm. the Department of Health or the Department of Energy or STTRs, I think, go through some other. It, it, the whole point, it's all government money that gets shoved through some channel that focuses on a very specific area that's highly technical. Okay, so these are mm. ideally the original dollars that help, let's say, technology spin out of a university, Right. You'd get uh, SBIR, STTR funding, or I think of them as grants. And that's a better way to say it. They're federal grants. So there were some very early venture, but because venture capital has always existed, right? I grew up, I will tell you this, Buffalo was a lot different than Rochester, right? Rochester was a, a mm-hmm. city that boasted Kodak, Xerox, Bausch & Lomb, Paychex, Constellation Brands, right? Like the list is, and there's more I'm sure I'm missing. Some of the largest private companies in the world, right? Wegmans is headquartered there. All highly entrepreneurial, 
all originally founded by families that amassed massive amounts of wealth, right? George Eastman with Kodak, the Wilson brothers, who happen to be in my fraternity at, at, at Xerox, Bausch and Lomb, they're the namesakes themselves. So Rochester had this amazingly vibrant entrepreneurial community, but very, very technical, right? I and mean, we're talking about the people that commercialized photography, copying, contact lenses, lenses in general, optics in mm -hmm. general, right? And then you got Buffalo. And I'm not saying Buffalo is not entrepreneurial. I think at one point, Depew, which is one of the suburbs of Buffalo, boasted both the highest number per capita of churches and bars of any city in the United States, <laughs> depending on how jovial you are, both we consider entrepreneurial endeavors, right? So it's, it's, it, it was different here. I, I think that there was something to, uh, you know, the, the, the things I'd seen pop art about like the brain drain and heard about it much more in the Buffalo area than I'd heard about it in the Rochester area. Cause Rochester was like always a turnstile, right? Yeah. You had these big corporates that had pulled, a lot of people in from other places who then lived there that balanced out the outflow. And I just don't think Buffalo had that. I'm not a, an, an economist to understand actual human migration patterns, but like it's definitely something, it was definitely like a heavy gloom that kind of hung on the city. And so it was hard doing startup stuff here because there weren't a lot of people willing to take chances. It was very new in 2008. There had been successes, but I don't think that people had thought they could happen here. I think they think that's what happens on the mm -hmm. other side of the TV screen or the other side of the computer screen. And it was tough. And th there were some initial efforts, but honestly, it was all government funding, right? There was a little incubator called Z80. Dan that Arun had mentioned was the managing director there. It was 100% state money. But two successful kind of entrepreneurs had ran it who cut their teeth really in New York more than they did in New York, the city more than they did Buffalo, but we're both from here, but it was all state money. They didn't have any money in it. 43 North, this foundation that, that, that this business plan competition started in 2014, 100% government funding, right? So the problem was that there was no way to import dollars, right? Like it was difficult to do. And I think that as, as Arun has mentioned, Ashok, who was the founder of one very large company called Liaison, they ended up selling to Towers Watson for like, I think, $220 million, And is now the founder. Which was the first exit in, in, in Western Buffalo. New York of any note. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would say non, non, yeah, I, I, maybe it was the first. There was that. What year was that? It was 2012, 13. Like, 12, yeah. Like okay. Yeah. Ashok was our first commit as an angel. I think it's okay mm. for me to say that at this point. He's he's a great guy. And he knew Dan. He basically bet on Dan. And then after he got to know Joe and I, he decided to come in. And I'm very happy. He, I imagine he did very well with the ACB exit. But there wasn't a lot of wins. That was a $200 million-ish win, which is great. But like that's a great... That shouldn't be your tallest achievement, right? Like, mm. and, yeah, your highest exit from there. Yeah, and yeah. There's, there's at the room. same time... At the same time, though, you had to start somewhere, yep. and that was actually a pretty good yeah. launching point. It was. We had had a couple. The, the guy that ended up taking over as the CEO of ACV, George, was a co-founder of a company called Cinecore. But like, it just Cinecore went public, but it went public in. I don't think anybody made any real money in it, right? Like, it, it's 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 one thing. Like, look, ACV when it went public was like four billion dollars. You would think. 
I would be one of the richest guys in the city as a co-founder. I said that we all took a tremendous amount of dilution and we all did fine. At some point, it just got to the point where this thing's going to get so inflated that that's when I decided to get off. I was like, this is just, I, I don't know. There's a sound business here, but I don't know if uh, the decisions being made are in the vein of building a sound business or a giant business, right? I didn't want a spruce goose. I want a Learjet, right? So, so, but, but look, I think he gave a ton of hope to the area, right? Like somebody made it, right? Like. It's like when you see when you see one of your own go on to do something. I call it the poster on the wall moment. Like I needed to yeah. see somebody that looked like me that was able to do it to believe I could do it. Right. I like to call it the Tiger Woods effect. I'm not saying we were that special. You saw like a generational shift when he came out because he didn't look like every other golfer in the world. And so because of that, everybody thought that they could be a professional golfer. And you could see the boom that happened in the it was the same thing in Buffalo. Like all of a sudden we're like, we're three guys. We didn't even know each other to begin with. Literally, it was a Jewish guy, a Polish guy, an Italian guy started a company. It's like the beginning of like a long running joke. And and it and it worked. And people were like, Well, why can't I do this? Like, like these are very nice, very open guys. We spent a ton of time in the community. Dan was one of the first mm -hmm. guys that was very active in like the startup week and with Buffalo open coffee club, I picked up that mantle and in Jack Recco way, like tried to promote and democratize things as, I, as much as I possibly could. I have this, I've been told I, I fit perfectly in this trope of like chaotic good where like I do good, but like I have to do it in almost like a screwed up way in order to want to do it. Um, you know, and, but Buffalo was perfect. Stay true to yourself, Jack. Stay true to yourself. <laughs> no, but I mean, like Buffalo was perfect because honestly, it was a big sandbox that nobody had ever built a castle in. But we looked around and we're like, there's people here who are willing to believe. There's people here who are willing to work their ass off. All I mean, we did. We were not a tech company. We were a service company with a thin skin of tech around it. Just enough mm -hmm. guild on it that people thought it was made of gold. Right. But really, it's just a really strong service business. I think. I love that because we got to hire so many people and I got, I came here cold, right? I came here, I was living in Rochester when we started the company and I moved here. And though I knew some people, I wasn't from here. I wasn't, you know, I don't have my, I, I didn't have my, my Buffalo Bill branding on my body yet. Even though I was a big fan, it's like another thing here, right? But the whole point of it was Buffalo is like any other city except, and, and, at the point that hadn't had any type of real success because I just think nobody swung that hard. It was like, you know what? I could get a nice house in North Buffalo on Lincoln Parkway, or I could go live over in like the Depew Beard area and be in a nice house or be on the water. And all I had to do is good. Like I don't got to go for broke. And we went for broke. We did. I think it was partly because we were, at least me, I was an idiot. I was like, why not? Until it got to the point where it was too much. I think we just really liked what we were doing. And so we kept trying to grow and grow this business. And we got, we had really good partners that were willing to back us. Like them or not, we had very good investors in, in the, especially in the majors like Bessemer that came in. They're, they're highly sought after by founders uh, and they're mm -hmm. respected, but also not invited to the party that often by other VCs. There's good reason. They come in and they throw a lot of weight around. But I'll tell you what, they were a good partner to us. We had all the money that we needed, which never was the case for a company in Buffalo before. 
We had all the support that was needed at this upper level, which would never was the case before. My mentor was the former CFO of Oracle, right? Like I could never have gotten that on my own. So I'm ever in there. I'm, I'm, I'm forever in their debt for that kind of stuff. But it was the first time like we made it on the big stage. It felt like the first time that school that never won anything won something. And it was like, hey, we can do it too. We got we get to play with just as many people on the field. There's no reason why you can't win. So take us through like the trials and tribulations. So you, there's three of you. You guys start. You have to scale at some point. How how does that go in a, in, a, in a city like Buffalo? And this is before remote work is, I think, ex- extremely popular the way it is today. Yeah. So you are hamstrung by location more in the era that you built this company in. Yeah. I looked at that as I looked at that as awesome. I loved it, right? I didn't think of it like, oh my God, there's no remote work. I'll never be able to. At the time, Arun, you lived in San Francisco, right? Jake, I don't even know where you live. You live in San Francisco now. You're probably living on Mars, right? (laughs) Someday. Someday. But I looked at it as the advantage. I looked around and I was like, you're telling me I don't got to compete with anybody for this talent? Like, because we needed a lot of people. And all we had to do, it, it got to the point, like, like I'd intentionally like go out to lunch and you know, a waiter or waitress would come up to me and I, they'd be super pleasant. I'd be like, what do you make? They're like, I don't know, like 45 grand a year. I'm like, you want to make like $60,000 a year and you don't have to be on your feet. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, good. Sign up for ACV. Give them my name. Right. Like, like we were just like, mm. we were this, I felt like a brand new sponge in like a freshly poured bathtub that nobody else had gotten in and gotten to like soak up and, and, and muddy up yet. And I was just like, this is great. We were selling people on the fact that they could wear flip-flops to work. Right. And we used to do stuff. People were pissed at it, but like we'd have a good month and I would just give everybody bonuses like across the company. We used to call it the bonus fairy would show up. Right. And they wouldn't be big. They would be a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks, but these are people that came from like a call center at Geico or people that had been working in operations at M&T or people like the people on like the road, like they were people that maybe they were, you know, they used to mow lawns or they used to be a mechanic until they hurt their back or whatever. We were just like, we had this one thing and I've said it before. We only hired happy people that really wanted to work hard. Hmm. Like that was the requirement. It wasn't how many years of experience you had. It was, can you get on the phone with somebody and make them smile? Can you figure out a problem and be tactful, right? Can you go in, even our developers, it was like, are you willing to go, like, are you willing to sit down with used car dealers, which like on the spectrum of personality is the complete opposite of your typical developer and try and solve this problem? And I think it meant a lot to them that I could tell you, for me, the developers all made more money than me. The the operations person sat at the exact same desk that I sat at. And the inside salespeople, when they went on break, I would go over and be like, I'll crank out some phone calls for you. Like, go take a break. It sounds like it's been a long day. Like, it was this, we were all on one plane. And I'm not talking like kumbaya, like, like it was clear who executive management was and who wasn't. But we were all digging the ditch, right? And I think people saw that. Like, we got to the point where our employees were just recruiting new employees. Like, we had created a, we had gone viral within the city of Buffalo to be the place to work. Um, and to be honest, like the work's not great. It's, you know, it's, it's not like, oh my God, it's the easiest thing in the world. There's a ton of time off. Like when I was there from 2014 to late 2018, um, it was, it was hard. It was like, we worked a lot. Like 
I ate dinner there a lot. Um, you know, I was there until I had to go outside and clean my car off because it started snowing at 9 p.m. And by the time I got out there, it was just covered a lot. You know, and and so I looked at it as the advantage room. I looked at it and said, this is a place where nobody is selling the experience like of of being able to like really build something. And that's what we sold. We sold sold this dream. We are building a house and you're going to be part of it forever. And people loved it. Jack, how did you feel about the split of, like you talk about this as like a service business wrapped with tech, right? And you mentioned developers, you mentioned all these other people that you're hiring. What did that split look like, like as you were building this business, right? In terms of bringing on developer talent versus like, to your point of being in the, the restaurant, like asking someone to come in yeah. and work on the more service so, side or sales so side. So we had a very, so there, there was a, a startup here that failed, took money from out of town called Dually. And... We basically pulled, Dan had worked there and we basically pulled almost the entire dev team from that. And is mm. there were some other smaller shops that we pulled people from here or there, but it was a pretty small dev team initially. And it, I, it didn't have to be huge. Like just to be clear, ACV built a native iOS, Android and web platform that allowed you to go in, write some things about like, I'd ask you a bunch of questions. I mean, you could build ACV out of type form. You could answer these questions, mm -hmm. put it in here, put it somewhere. And there was a bidding feature where you could bid $100 or you could pick your number. And like, you mm -hmm. know, so it wasn't like the deepest thing in the world. Like what a room's building a model prime. Like, I don't understand that at all. I'm an investor in it because I basically bet on founders and I'm a token investor in it. I, I wish, I wish my fund was in it. I wish at the time. The, you know, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm missing a logo on, on farout.vc. I know, I know. Yeah, but that's the thing. We strictly are a low valuation company. Like when we get in, like pre-seed mm. seed. And by the time there was a funding opportunity, like by the time the comp, the fund was funding, the company was too far along. I think our average yeah. post money valuation is like eight or nine. It's a single digit. So, so, so I'm happy to be in it personally. And, and it's, you know, I, I, but again, it's, it's, we weren't doing something that difficult. We were primarily a service oriented business. Like if I had to take a guess, mm -hmm. we were probably in terms of salary, 20% in terms of man hours, 10 to 15% tech. Not huge. Yeah. Makes not sense. Huge, you know? No, not, not huge no. at all. And, and that's probably an overstatement. It's probably an overstatement because like, you got to remember we had a platform that outside of like having more and more content on it, the entire time I was there, the company did nothing different. We sold, we, mm. we helped people buy and sell used cars using a standard 20 minute auction. You couldn't even change the time of the auction. Like the, the late. Yeah. So, but no, it's, it's really, it's, it's a service business. And I'm proud to say that because those are hard to build. They are hard to build. Yes, I you agree. know, it's a marketplace that so makes it hard to build. But I tell people we don't buy and sell cars. We we decouple the need for there to be a relationship between a grumpy used car seller and a grumpy used car buyer. And we're in the middle and we're pleasant. And like our job is to be tactful and kind and pleasant, but also strict to what we allow and we don't allow. Right. That's our job. And we just happen to help them move car. That's that's it. So. And so you you basically go from 
you you build this thing at ACV. You you have like all the the challenges of doing that. You break ground, help build the first unicorn in Western New York, and then you decide to jump back into venture capital. Describe that. Describe like raising the fund. And at this point, you're doing it from a position of strength. You're no longer an underling. You're no longer you're you're no longer a nobody. You're you're a person that's built a company. What was that process like? So I was I carried a personal balance sheet, which was nice. Okay. When I left ACV, I left it because I looked around and I go, I don't I don't fit here anymore. Right. It was funny. They were just getting ready to move into their new offices. And it was almost at the exact time my last day was. And I remember them saying, like, come on up and see the new office. And I was like, no, thanks. I'll turn the lights out here. Right. So when I left, I left saying, all right, I know what I'm good at. Right. I'm good at building houses. Right. Maybe I'm not good at doing all the stuff that comes later on, putting the fine finishings in them, but, but I'm good at architecting. And so I really took an operator's and I truly, albeit in my 20s, I had helped people and been at the table with so many different companies. In my 20s, I bet you I helped Endeavor, which is like this global not-for-profit that has a fund around it, is doing like a mapping on me. And they asked me to start to dig through and just find, they wanted a name of companies of which I had meaningful impact with. And it was I think it was like 150 or 200 companies in my 20s, right? That I had spent time working with. And so I had all these little like mosaic experiences. I had one big opus. And now I'm like, what do I do with all this? And I'm like, well, I help people. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I got a bunch of money. I feel like I don't deserve it. Like how come I was going through this period of like survivor guilt where I was like, how come we're the ones that made it? Like even the other companies we competed against, I'm like, we're no better than them. We just raised more money and got lucky. So I was like, what am I going to do? So I said, all right, I made a deal with God. I said, this money feels a little dirty. I'm going to launder it the only way I know how, which is to run it back through the venture world. And I made a commitment when I left right before I took my first secondary that I would either be giving away or cycling through every single dollar at least once I took out ACV. And that was really my like driving. That was my North Star. It was my, my driving factor. And look, don't get me wrong. I'm an emotional guy. There were companies that people wanted back. That was like, there's something here. And I would get so pissed. I do the whole round. I, my, my first three checks were a million dollars, 750,000 and $500,000. And those are companies that sold the eBay, sold the Waco and the $500,000 one within the next, probably by the end of November, you'll hear their series A launch, right? That was the earliest of the three. And all three of them at the time, nobody wanted to touch. And so I did, I, look, I'm going to, we're humans, right? Someday robots are going to do everything and they're not going to have any emotions, but God, if I'm anything, I'm emotional, right? But I can verify, I can verify <laughs> this. So that's what I did. I said, I'm going to go out there and damn it, I'm going to be, I'm going to at least be the person that can tell the people that like, I'm going to be the help I never had. I'm going to be the guy being like, what are you stupid going out of a $3 million valuation? This is what the market is. Go ask for eight. Don't let anybody tell you you're wrong. Mm. I got all this experience to tell you I'm right. Right. Or yes, you can do something like this. Like you can, but you go and hire those recruiters, spend the money. Don't be so short-sighted. Like 
yeah, don't think I live in a place with no money. Think uh, there's always going to be enough. And I was trying to change like the ecosystem's mindset from one of scarcity to one of like plentifulness, right? Because I realized mm -hmm. whether you don't have enough or you have too much, it's purely perspective. And the one thing I did believe, because we weren't so watered down by hubris that I had seen in places like San Francisco and New York and Boston, I was like, People, if they start to believe, are creative and hardworking enough here. They're like, I, I like to think of it like these new cities like Buffalo are like first generation immigrants. Like they show up and they are like, I'm going to have to work my ass off. We're like, we don't deserve to be here. Right. And that mentality is like, I'm going to earn the right to be here by working harder than everybody else. And when you got smart people, which upstate New York has. And they have that mentality of we're not going to lose because we're not hard enough working or creative enough or willing to go the extra mile. All of a sudden, people, like, all, they learn how to make a slap shot. And they're not, not that every puck's going to go in, but more of them will. And that's what started to happen in the area. So really, it was just like, all right, I want to be the help I didn't have. And the way I did that was I threw money out there. I put a lot of time out there from 18 until we started the fund at 22. So was that 18, 19, well, half the very tail of 18. So 19, 20, 21. For those three years, I basically just worked on ecosystem development. And I did that parallel mm -hmm. to being probably one of the most active angel investor in upstate New York and one of the most active angel investors in New York State in general. It's actually come to a point, Jack, where if there's a company in Western New York and you're not on the cap table, I don't even bother. Like, I don't even bother <laughs> with them. Yeah. Well, and it, it, uh, it and look that that's a that's funny. It's a real thing, and this is what happens when you you, you make a lot of noise in a little town, right? Uh, yeah. So let's talk about that little town for a second. So what 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 is holding it back? What's holding Buffalo back? Mm -hmm. Um. Well, I think it's people don't. People, when they're successful, don't always stay here. That's hard. Is it, wait, wait, is it that they, 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 when they're successful, they don't stay here? Or is it that in order to be successful, they have to leave? So there's this mm -hmm. saying, there's a saying in like sort of like the Indian diaspora that like Indians do well everywhere except for India. And I actually think it's true of Buffalonians. I think Buffalonians do well everywhere generally except for but, Buffalo. But like, I think it's true everywhere right like like arun you've been successful and you haven't lived in buffalo in a long time and jake i don't even know where you're from but from wisconsin, yeah, wisconsin midwest it's a very long hitchhike from wisconsin all the way to san francisco right they're very far apart so and look I, i'm it a is. byproduct of it too look I'm, I'm a traditional italian i've moved from canada to going to school university of rochester which is about 35 minutes away you would have thought the day my mom left that I had just moved to another galaxy, right? But I did. I was, I had only failures in Rochester and I come to Buffalo and I'm one for one, right? And so something happens. Like maybe the question is what happens when you leave? Like what happens when you don't go somewhere? And for a city like Buffalo, that is very insular, that prides itself on keeping its own as best it can. Is that what it should have targeted the whole time? I mean, should it? I don't know, but maybe that's the problem. But I can tell you really rich people moving to Florida is also a problem, right? Like, so that's the problem. Sure. Right. 
It's the, I was going to say there's an ecosystem support mechanism that that's causing this, right? There's a reason why people move from, which is great that you're doing this work in Buffalo, right? Yeah. Because it'll help to keep them there. But it's like, you want to chase the gold, you chase it in the areas that can support it. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I think of it like this. I think of it like we're too focused on like, um, we're too focused on like making sure we don't lose things and not that focused on like bringing mm. new things in. I think 42 North has done, and I actually, I give them credit, even though I, I, I don't give them complete credit. They are trying to bring in new people and new ideas and stuff like that. It's a little forced, but like the truth is, is you got to have a mechanism to suck things back in. ACV is big enough that as a corporation, it is pulling things back in. And you need that when the water comes down, it goes in the puddle and the puddle evaporates and then it's able to rain again. If there's no evaporation, there's no rain. Why are places that, why are we not getting other places water? Why, why is the rain only from us? You know, I don't know, but I can tell you as an outsider that lives here, don't get me wrong. My, my fiance is from Buffalo. My mom was born in Buffalo. My grandmother's from Buffalo. My son was born in Buffalo. Like I'm clear, clearly an outsider. Clearly an outsider. <laughs> Clearly, we we. I need a copy of your birth certificate, Jack. Uh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I swear I was. I, I swear I was born in, in Rochester. I know. So so all I'm saying is like, you know, first like what I'll be honest. Like I moved here because I was five months into a relationship with somebody that I barely even knew, and she was pregnant. That's why I stopped doing what I was doing and started ACV. I was like, this is a good idea, right? Because it's. It means I'm not going to be bouncing around the world talking about osteo integration of plasma vapor deposition coatings for 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 orthopedic applications, right? Or whatever the hell it was that I was consulting on at that time, right? At one time, I was a CFO before we started ACV. I was a CFO and compensated in some crackerjack way for seven different things: a sneaker company, a cereal company, two material science companies out of out of Cornell. Right. People making ink that wouldn't blow up when you laid down pure copper. People making genetic tests that allowed you to have like orphan drug assays. And like and plus I was helping my dad with his business. Like none of them have anything to do with each other. And then finally I was like, I'm having a kid, break stop. This sounds interesting. My I've been around auctions my whole life. My dad was an antique dealer. I gotta move to Buffalo. I'm gonna do this. Right. By the way, Jack, I'm looking for a new nightstand. I got to stop by your your dad's oh, dude, store. We got the best. So. But it's, I don't know. I think Buffalo is starting to get it. Like, I think instead of using all of its effort to grab people and pull them back, maybe it should like paint up the sign outside that says, welcome to Buffalo. We love people not from here. You know, like, I don't know. Yeah, I get yeah, inflows I think... of, of rainwater from elsewhere. Because it's it, it's funny. It's it's like the effort of, of raising capital and deploying capital in your local area is almost similar to what I think we're describing the problem as, which is like they're insular, right? And so they, they focus on not losing anything. Whereas like we want to give back to Midwest cities in general, I think in this case, Buffalo. Whoa, whoa, Buffalo. Hey, Jake just referred to Buffalo as the Midwest. Love it. He always catches me on this. He always catches <laughs> yes. me on this. No, no. no Cause one time uh, I was like, I'm from the Midwest too. And you're like, no, you're not. So <laughs> I still hold my opinion. But yeah, that's yeah. Right. So I've been referring it to it as the interior, the interior, right? Like we are definitely more the, the interior. interior. We're yes. a non-coastal interior city, 
which smartly is geographically positioned near like 75% of the fresh water in the world. Right. Which is wonderful. So, but it's look, I think you have to, I, I almost wish Buffalo went and got a marketing agency and said, tell me how to sell myself. Or went and got like a wardrobe consultant and said, I don't need to look like I'm from San Francisco, but I need a brand, right? Like, it was funny. The, the guys over at 26 Shirts are the ones that dubbed the term Bill's Mafia. And like, we were just waiting for something to be able to grab onto to be like, this identifies what's here, right? Like, it, like it's this family-oriented mentality where nothing is too much, right? Again, like, I... I'm very big on like not stereotyping people, but understanding cultural norms. I'm Italian. My family matters to me a lot, right? It's the most important thing to me. Like Arun, I care about, I call him a brother, right? Like it's just the way we like function in the world I'm from. And I think Buffalo, we we call ourselves like the actual city of good neighbors, right? And I will say people here are are typically nice. I take issue with that actually. You don't like it? I, I no, because I feel like there's the other side of Main Street that we are not necessarily good neighbors to. And that 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 to me, I think it's great branding. But I think if you look at the interior of the city, it's not entirely true. But that's that's look, that's sure. a broader social look, issue. And we're trying to change that. Right. I'm also building a two million dollar farm on that other side of Main Street right now, trying to like be like, OK, you know how you fix things? You give people hope and opportunity. Right. That's the biggest. That's how you make people. One is how you get them in order is you give them hope and opportunity, right? So, and it's tough. Yeah, I Buffalo's it had a history of being as segregated as the city you would find south of the Mason-Dixon, right? I'm not disagreeing with you. But by and large, I do think that there is, look, there's going to be blemishes and pox on anything that you look at, right? I, I can't think of a place where it's not like that. And but I, I, I do honestly think that this is the kind of place I will tell you, it welcomed me in with, with open arms. And when I came here, I didn't bring anything. You know, what did I bring? I was from Rochester, ooh, far away land. But people let me in and they said, do you want to be part of, I, I won't say that there isn't a, there aren't some rings of which try and suck you in. Any city has that. But I think by and large, like Buffalo is the kind of place, like you look at UB, like UB, somebody told me the statistic and I don't know if it's true, but it's believable. UB and I think 2024, 2025 will graduate more computer science undergrads than any other single university in the nation. Now, I don't know how true that is, but I, when I'd heard that, you know, my, my, I know a couple of people on the, on the, in the computer science department. And I was like, I was like, do we really have that many? Cause I didn't go to UB. And they're like, yeah, there's a ton. And there is, so you, and it's coming from all over the world, right? You're getting this, Yeah, you're getting this diverse mix up of, of what's coming in here. So Rune, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I think you're absolutely warranted in your opinion. I think we can be better, but I could definitely say it's not, I haven't faced resistance in coming in, but I actually think I got an advantage being an outsider. I think it's actually a city to good neighbors if you aren't from here, because heck, none of those people typically stop by, right? There's some fairness to that. Like, I think my my general point is I don't think you should let the veneer of that coding of a city of good neighbors blind you to some of the some of the real issues below that. And, and I think we'd be in agreement there. Yep. Totally.
yeah. So, Jack, I feel like we could talk forever, but we do we do have some some hard limits. So we're going to give you the 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 tradition that we have here on Techonomics, which is that every guest has to do a hot take. But Jack, because we are both Western New Yorkers, and because we both love the Bills, you're going to get a Buffalo Bills related hot take. Sweet. I'm very excited okay. about this. <laughs> okay, so it's it's a two part it's a two part hot take. Okay, do the Bills advance past the AFC Championship game this year, and does Josh Allen win MVP? Yes, they advance past the AFC Championship this year, but I think they play somebody in it that is not going to be Kansas City or Cincinnati. I think we're going to have to beat them wow. earlier than we think. Hmm. And does Josh Allen win MVP of the league? I don't know. I honestly think that the NFL is prime for maybe somebody that's not a quarterback to win it for once, a.k.a. that guy running around in Minnesota that's like a crazy good wide receiver. Oh, Justin Jefferson? Justin Jefferson. Yeah, he's great. Mm-hmm. But I yep. do think when the Bills go to the Super Bowl – Josh Allen's going to be the MVP of that. See, last year, I think that there was a fix in to keep the Bills out of the Super Bowl because if you had the Bills and the Eagles descent, like fan bases descending on one city, they just knew you would have to end up calling in the National Guard. <laughs> <laughs> and so what they did was they architected some sort of like earlier round loss because if, if, if they lose in the championship game, that looks a little right. obvious, right? So let's let's move that loss into like the divisional game, and then it just looks like it just happened. But I think I think that there was there were some security related implications in in the way the playoffs played out last year. That's my that's my tinfoil hat. I, 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 I poison you in breakfast, but it doesn't set in till dinner. I get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Jack, thanks for coming on, and I, I will say this. I yeah, know that thank you. when you and Taylor, who was on the previous episode, are people that anytime as a founder. I'm having a bad day. I can call. And I know just like Taylor. Hell, you are I don't person. even think you need to be a founder and have a bad day to call Jack. I, I feel like he's lifting my spirits. <laughs> the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I know that you are that for so many people in the Western New York ecosystem and, and elsewhere. And so on behalf of all of them. Yeah. Hey, you. look, very kind to you. I'm learning how to say you're welcome when people say thank you more. Because I'm so used to being like, oh, don't thank me, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, is it means a lot to me. It really does. But I will tell you this. We used to do this thing because we were all broke. We would go to the casino and we would all bet on roulette. And if anybody won, they were buying drinks for everybody that was there. So all I'm doing is the exact same thing I would expect anybody else to do if it was them that won instead of me. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, everybody else will hunt you down. That's how it works. So you have to, it's, it's, it's the way things are supposed to go, right? Life is short and life is long at the same time. And so when you have the opportunity to do something, do it. Uh, my creative writing teacher always said that. She was like, do not save anything. Use it the moment of which is yeah. in your possession. Yep. And do not be afraid that something greater won't come along because the use of that yep. is what will create the better thing tomorrow. And I was like, all right, sounds great. So The days are and long I, and the years fly by. 
Wait till you have a kid. Uh, it's even worse. <laughs> I have one, oh, Jack. You do. I have one, and it's crazy. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's why I said that quote at the end. It's definitely true. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I will also verify this, and this can be our, our, our parting thought. Everything that Jack has said, I can personally verify having been very close to him now. He lives He lives it. This is not a a show that he is putting on. This is not anything. There is not a single thing I think that he leaves in reserve. And I even think that even that's even true of your bank account at times. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> and this was to a point where I think I think I may have made your now fiance, then girlfriend sign off on on actually investing in my company. <laughs> you, that's that's confirmed. Yeah. But but look, that, that's yeah, called damage yeah. control. That That's called that's called insurance policy right there. Rune. Nice work. No, that was that was trying to make sure that Jack wasn't doing something on an emotional basis. Like I wanted him to kind of like I wanted somebody else to kind yeah. of check him well, a little bit. Uh, I, yeah. I, Fair enough. I believe it was Steppenwolf that gave us the very simple directions on on life and it's to fire all your guns at once to explode into space right so the only way to get where you're going and never have any regret is literally to use everything you have at the moment you have it it's in the art of war it's in rock songs it's in everything so if like potential is one of the is one of the most disgusting words i ever hear Oh, he's got a ton of potential. I'm like, that kid's a loser. He hasn't been able to do anything yet, right? Like, you know. Uh, so don't ever have potential. Be a failure. You know, like go into the point you fail. Because that's how you get stronger. Not having the potential to do it. So. Yeah, I feel like we just got a commencement address. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, and I can't wait to have you back. And I know Jake. Yeah. Thanks again, way. Jack. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. guys. Hey, everyone. Arun and I are extremely grateful to have you as a Techonomics listener. As a reminder, the views expressed in the content of this podcast or anything linked in the newsletter, website, posts, or posted in social media or other platforms are that of our own and are not the views of any person, company, entity, or even any related affiliates. The content is not directed to any investors or even potential investors. It does not constitute an offer to sell or is a solicitation of any offer to buy any securities. It may not be used or relied upon in evaluating the merits of any investment. Thank you.